You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Hallelujah. Are you ready for God's word this Sunday morning? I'm not going to preach too long, but you're going to be blessed. Open your Bibles quickly to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 2. We're going to the book of Haggai chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 6 to verse 9 of Haggai chapter 2. Open your Bibles right there, right now, and then let's rise up for the reading of God's word. Let's rise up for the reading of God's word. Hallelujah. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise, mighty Father. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 9. Are you ready? Help me ask your neighbor, are you ready? And just in case your neighbor is not ready, maybe pull their hand and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. A word is coming your way. I trust you're ready on YouTube and on Facebook. We're in for a great time this Sunday morning. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 9. If you would, let's read together. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And I trust you, Lord, to enable me today to do no injustice to your word. Anoint my tongue and cause it to be as the pen of the ready writer that I might describe upon the hearts of all men and women listening to me your living truth. And by reason of that truth, we'll be elevated to a new level of experience with you in Jesus' mighty name. And the people said aloud, Amen. Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Most High God. Hallelujah. This is an Old Testament scripture. We've heard it before. He says that there will be a shaking. But the New Testament counterpart to this scripture we read in the book of Hebrews and chapter 12, verse 26 and 27, where he says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that have been shaken as of, those, or as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So this is the New Testament counterpart of what we just read in the book of Haggai. And here, he says that now he has promised. He has promised. God has promised. What did he promise? He promised that there would be a shaking. Are you with me? He promised that there would be a shaking. Now you must understand that a promise is a prophecy. When I promise you something, I'm telling you something that's going to happen in the future, right? So a promise is a prophecy. Now, the difference between my promise, prophecy, and God's promise, prophecy, is that my promise is based upon my expectation that I will be able to do what I said I would do for you. But how many of you have ever experienced a failed promise? And sometimes the reason the promise did not come to pass was not because the person did not want to do it, but simply because the person's projections as regards what he would have available to him come the time of fulfillment failed, so he no longer had the resources to be able to fulfill his promise. 
but not so with my God. Because he does not run out of resource. When he promises, he's sure that when the time of fulfillment of the promise comes around, he will be well able to still fulfill the promise. But better than this, when God makes a promise, he's not telling you what he is going to do. He's actually telling you what he has already done that you just haven't come into yet. Can somebody go ahead and give God the praise this Sunday morning for our promise keeping God. A promise is a prophecy. It's a prophecy. Now the profundity of a prophecy in scripture, listen to me closely, is that it can be applicable to the here and now and at the very same time be talking about tomorrow. So, this is why I do not put God in a box as much as I understand all the principles of context, pretext, post-text in interpreting the scriptures. I find that my God and my Jesus and his prophets can speak about now and in the very same breath and in the same phrase that is speaking about now, still be speaking about the future, still be speaking about tomorrow. Oh, Jesus, help me. Uh, so, though a prophetic text may speak of a very specific context, it can at the same time speak of a future uh, text or event. Uh, yes, yes. So, when God first talks about, I will shake the heavens and the earth and this and that, he's speaking to a very specific context. He's speaking to Zerubbabel. He's speaking about the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, that's very specific. Uh, and you, 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 would, you would be making a mistake if you said that prophecy was only for that. But that prophecy wasn't just about that because even though it was speaking about Zerubbabel's um, current circumstance, it was also speaking about a future occurrence of shaking. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? He was talking about an occurrence that had not yet taken place. Uh, and this is why we now read in the book of Hebrews where he says that that thing he said before was actually a promise about the future. That there would be a shaking of heaven and earth, of sea and dry land, of all nations. In other words, no region would be exempt from the shaking that God was talking about. And can I tell you that we are living in the reality of the fulfillment of that promise prophecy right now. Ah, yes. If anybody was oblivious of shaken before, C19 has brought it front and center for the whole world. There is a shaken, and even right now, there is still a shaken. Am I talking to anybody here? Has anybody been shaken? in the last number of weeks, months, and I dare say years. Have you experienced the shaking? Now, even though the shaking is global, can I let you know that the shaking is also very much personal? I don't know about you, but I've experienced the shakings over the last weeks and months and years in a very personal way. Anybody like me, can I get a witness that has experienced the shaking? I mean, it seems as if we can't even catch a breather. We're trying to get out of C-19 and then somebody wakes up in the morning and starts war between Russia and Ukraine. We initially are hoping that it will be insulated to that area, but soon we found out 
that the whole world is so connected that the reverberations of war on one side of the world can affect the rest of the world. So fuel prices start to go up and then that has a domino effect causing us to now be looking at a cost of living crisis that you are feeling very personally. When you go to the store today to buy your normal groceries, you find out that more is coming out of your pocket than used to come out of. Am I talking to anybody in the house? There is a shaking. There's still a shaking. It's not just global. It's also personal. Uh, and God told us about this shaking ahead of time. He told us, it's almost like he promised it, uh, that there will be a shaking. Now, if he promised it and he knew he was coming, I, I need to ask the question, why the shaking? What is the purpose of this shaking? Uh, does anybody want to know the purpose of the shaking? Let me tell you what the purpose of the shaking is. You see, whenever there is a shaking, as exemplified in an earthquake, it starts to reveal the integrity or lack thereof of certain things. Therefore, I want to announce to you that the shaking is for exposure. The shaking is for exposure. Fault lines are being exposed. Uh, the shaking will start to expose and has been exposing faulty theology. Hey, uh, the gospel of, of prosperity alone uh, uh, emphasis has been exposed in the shaking. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? It starts to expose fault lines. It starts to expose faulty foundations. Did you build on the rock or have you been building on sand? Uh, and this has dear consequences. It makes a lot of people become a little bit concerned. Another purpose for the shaking is so that the desire, the desire of all nations would come. The shaking is for the emergence of new things. It is for the glory of the latter house to emerge. Are there any members of the latter house of God in the house under the sound of my voice this Sunday morning? Well, can I announce to you that the shaking was for you to emerge, was to bring you center stage. Oh yes, he left you in the wilderness somewhere, taking care of sheep, but then he allowed there to be a shaking, Goliath boasting in the valley and the shaking was so that you would be emerged as the deliverer of Israel. There is a shaking. It's not against you. It is for you, believer. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout yes. It is for the exposure of everything that can be shaken to be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken would remain. Ah, yeah. Uh, the shaking is for a shift. The shaking is for a shift. I'm wearing my prophetic teaching gab this Sunday morning. I didn't come just like a pastor teacher. I came with prophetic unction. It's to shift us from the temporal to the eternal. Uh, to move us from the, what we see in the natural uh, to setting our focus on the unseen things uh, which are eternal. Uh, the shaking uh, is for a divine shift. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you cannot receive or retain that divine shift if you don't first of all have a mind shift. So the subject of my meditation this Sunday morning is actually a mind shift for a divine shift. Tell your neighbor you've got to have a mind shift for a divine shift. If you're coming out, you're coming out head first. Come on, tell your neighbor you've got to have a mind shift for a divine shift. Hallelujah. What distinguished the sons of Issachar from the other sons of the house of Israel was their ability to rightly discern the times to know what Israel 
ought to do. Now more than ever, we need modern day sons of Issachar to arise and decipher our times and tell us what we are meant to be doing. It's the time for the prophets and the watchers to arise and speak by decree of the watchers. This shall be. This is how it's going to be. This is the age for the prophets, the watchers to arise. Can I tell you a little bit more about the times that we're living in? You should be very interested in the times you're living in to understand the times you're living in because what determines wisdom from foolishness is actually the right discernment of time because what makes something foolish or wise is what time it is done. If it's done at the right time, it's considered to be wisdom. If it's done at the wrong time, it's considered to be foolishness. Oh yes, so you got to discern the time right. This is an age of disruption. We see disruption in every area and sector. This is an age of disillusionment because of the shaking. A lot of things that people believed in, they no longer can believe in, so they are becoming disillusioned. And therefore, it's also an age of disbelief and an age of denial. Uh, and already we can see statistics around the globe, particularly in the Western world, that is the age of the great resignation. Because even as we are coming out of COVID, but not coming out of COVID, you understand what I'm talking about? Uh, we have so many people uh, now saying, I don't want to do the job I used to do before. I want to do something else. So we have great res resignation. They say it's an employee's market now because there are so many jobs available and yet the jobs are not being taken quickly because people, their eyes have been opened, they've seen remote working, uh, they're tired of what they used to do and they're looking for something no, new. So we're having more resignation than uptake. Uh, this is also the age of shifts. Shifts, shifts, shifts all around. Shifts everywhere. The shaking is for shifts, but shifts also cause a shaking. Ah, yes. And the shifts that we are seeing in the natural are actually a reflection of shifts that are also taking place in the supernatural beyond the natural eyes. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? Even right here in the United Kingdom, we can see a political shift taking place where our erstwhile uh, prime minister on his way out uh, is forced to have to resign and now we're seeing a debate uh, we're seeing a contest of who's going to be the next prime minister and it's quite interesting seeing a number of the candidates that a number of years ago would never have been candidates to rule to be prime minister in our country but now it's happening because there's a shift can I announce to you that some of the most unlikely candidates are about to move from the side stage and come into the center stage. Is it you I'm talking about? Is it you that I'm prophesying to? We've been seeing shifts. I've been looking at the gospel music scene, the worship scene, and I've seen shifts. I remember a day when it was Maranatha music that we were listening to and singing from morning to night, and then there was a shift, and we started singing integrity, Hosanna integrity. I'm not saying that these, these, these organizations are still not apparent and are not still in existence, uh, but the truth be told, there's been a shift, uh, and then we moved uh, away from, from integrity, and we started to listen to other uh, uh, things. Uh, we had elevation worship uh, come on the scene, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. and right now Maverick City music has taken the world by storm, and, and you see, you've got to be able to recognize when there's a shift. So Kirk Franklin, I can see the shift and say, I better hitch my wagon to this shift. Quickly partners with Maverick City and all of a sudden a generation that didn't know him are now listening and singing 
these songs. Oh, does anybody hear me? What I'm talking about? There's a shift. There's a significant shift in so many areas of life. And can I tell you something also? That a lot of our gospel uh, music uh, worship leaders are also, they've left the local scene and they've become global. Uh, Pastor Nathaniel Bassi, uh, Duncio Yekon, Victoria Orenzi coming to do a concert in a few days' time. Can I announce to you that even in this house, there are voices that are yet to be heard, that are greatly anointed, anointed that have been cooked and baked in the oven of life, and they have a precious oil. Didn't you hear praise and worship this Sunday morning? There is a shift. If you believe what I'm saying, come and shout yes. And if you know that you are candidate for the divine shift that God is ushering in, come on. Praise the Lord this Sunday morning. Woo! This is the age of divine shifts. None of what is happening is taking God by surprise. All of these things he told us about beforehand. He's not panicked. He's not perturbed. He's working it all together. Hallelujah. For good. This is the age of divine shifts. God wants to bring a divine shift in your life. He wants to shift you from your current level to a totally new level. Oh, Jesus. Help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. Is this not our God in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 to 21? Daniel says that he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. Hallelujah. Our God is the God of the shift. He shifts times and seasons for his sovereign purpose. And if you are in alignment with his purpose, the shift is in your favor. Hallelujah. He's going to remove kings for you. And he's going to raise up kings for you. He's going to change leaders of organizations just so that they can favor your righteous cause. Hallelujah. In Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, we learn that promotion does not come from the south, not from the east, not from the west, but promotion cometh from the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I prophesy right now that you are about to be promoted, that promotion is coming your way. That shaking in your workplace was to create a vacancy for you to be able to arise and take that position. It's already happened. We already have testimonies in the house of those kind of shifts happening in this place. Come on, somebody shout, Amen. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 4, we learn that you are precious in the sight of God. Ah, you have been honored. You, are, you has he loved. Therefore, he will give men for you and people for your life. This is our God. He don't ask permission from anybody to do that which he's going to do. He says that I will remove men just for you. Then I love Genesis in chapter 41 and verse 14 when he said, and then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they brought him quickly. <laughs> Somebody's about to be brought out quickly from the dungeon. They brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. You see, <laughs> Joseph was so sharp. They were rushing him out of prison to take him to Pharaoh. He said, hold on, hold on. I ain't going there the way I look right now. You got to let me clean myself up, give myself a nice shave, dress myself appropriately. I'm telling you, God is going to move so fast in your life that you're going to have to tell him, hold on, just, just give me a moment to get myself together for this new stage, for this new level that you are bringing me into. If you believe me, what I'm saying, come and show you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The God of the shift, divine shifts, all around us. All those scriptures I just quoted to you are all statements of divine intent. Divine intent. <laughs> but there is a shift that must first of all take place in you before you can receive and retain the divine shift that God has for you. Using the example of Joseph, 
God had to orchestrate through the events of his life an internal shift in him for him to be able to receive the ultimate divine shift that God was bringing in his life. At the beginning of Joseph's life, it was all about his dream. By the time he got to prison, he wasn't talking about his dream no more. He became interested in other people's dreams and interpreting other people's dreams. Something had shifted internally for him where he had stopped thinking about himself and now was focused on others. And it was at that point in time when God saw that I have the internal shift necessary for the divine shift that I want to bring in his life has taken place. Now I can do it. Before the divine shift, there has to be an internal shift. And can I tell you what that internal shift is? It's a mind shift. It's a mind shift. It's a mind shift. Oh, Jesus, help me. It's a mind shift. Woo. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Ooh, hallelujah. Can I have three gentlemen quickly? Um, Pastor Zubi, yeah, come, 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 come. Pastor God's will, yummy, please come. Hallelujah. Come on stage, come on stage, come on stage. One of you here, one of you here, and one person here. Whew. Now, God says, or scriptures teach us, that you are a spirit who lives in a body and has a soul. The instruction in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 is that don't be conformed to the world. It is with your body that you are in contact with your world, the systems, the structures, the way people are in the world. It's with your body that you're in contact with the world. It says don't be confirmed to, conformed to the external world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. <laughs> your mind is the actual transformation center. There is no transformation without the renewal of your mind. Now, but, he says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he teaches us that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's what? A new creation. All things have become new. All things are of God. But the all things he's talking about here is not necessarily the soul, or the body. He's talking about your spirit. So, in your spirit, immediately you said yes to Jesus. Immediately you accepted him. God came in. The Holy Spirit entered into your spirit, rejuvenated, renewed your spirit, loaded your spirit with great power. He says, the day will come when they will tell you the kingdom of God is there, the kingdom of God is there. Don't, he said, don't listen to them, for the kingdom of God is where? Within you. The kingdom of God is inside your spirit. The finished work is inside your spirit. You, are, you know when we say we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, I understand what we mean. It's good to have the image of up there in heaven, but the truth is that this is where you are seated. When we are talking spiritual things, it's not about um, um, natural um, geography, longitude and latitude. He says heaven is in you. God is in you. <laughs> There's so much power in your spirit. And John says in the book of First John, he says that, look, you have no need that any man teach you, for you know all things. Have you ever wondered about that? Know all, me know all things? How do I know all things? When did I know all things? How can you say, I know all things? He's talking about your spirit. This is, this is a done deal in your spirit. It's a finished work in your spirit. Every resource you need is in your spirit. This is why spiritual intelligence is so important. We talk about all sorts of IQ, emotional intelligence, 
intellectual intelligence. There's little emphasis on spiritual intelligence. Your spirit already knows all things, but you're born again spirit. It has no need that any man teach you. Now, when people don't understand that scripture yet, they say, to, ah, if I don't need any man to teach me, then why am I going to church? Why, what's pastor doing? What's he teaching? Since I have no need that any man teach me, I know all things. You didn't get it right. He's saying that in your spirit, you know all things. But not in your soul, your mind, and not in your body. So the teacher whew, is bringing God's word. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is sharper, it's quick and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to what? The vision of what? The spirit and the soul. So the word of God brings light to start to show you what is already done in your spirit that is not yet done in your soul and obviously in your world. So the teacher, the pastor, myself, I'm shining light to show you this, for you to see these clarities, ultimately for you to be able to translate what has happened inside your spirit through your soul, through your body, to your world. Am I making sense? Are you getting it? So all of God is inside your spirit. Your spirit is loaded, it's packed, it's fully resourceful. There's no resource that your spirit does not have. It's, it's connected to God. It's in, by your, in your spirit, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places above all principalities and powers and every dominion. You are king in your spirit. But be not conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Between these two, your spirit and your soul, who is more powerful? On the natural level, our conclusion would be that your spirit is the most powerful because it's in connection, connected to heaven. All of God is in, in your spirit. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places in your spirit. So definitely your spirit is more powerful than your soul. And I would agree with you. But the, 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 the contradiction is that your spirit, as loaded and as powerful and as complete as it is, has no expression in the real day-to-day -day world without access through your soul to your body, to your world. And therefore, I put it to you that your soul, your mind, is actually the more powerful. He is the gatekeeper. It's a done deal in your spirit. It's not yet a done deal in the world. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. Listen, he says that my word is already settled in heaven. In heaven, and we know that heaven is inside you. My word is already settled in your spirit, okay? But I checked the scripture that I didn't see anywhere in the scripture where it says the word of God is already settled in the earth. If it was already settled in the earth, Jesus would not have said, pray after this manner, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm saying that there is no access of the heaven in your spirit to the world, but through your mind. Your mind is the gatekeeper. And therefore, your mind, your soul, is stronger. A lot of the time, your, your spirit is frustrated with so much to give, but no infrastructure through which to pass it through. Hey, the transforming center has all of the power, but there are no structures. There's no uh, power cables and, and lines from which the power inside here can get over there. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask, think, or imagine. According to what? According to the power that is where? At work within you. The power is in you, but God can only do the exceeding through this power that is in you, and this power that is in you can only get into your world through your mind, to your body, to your world. You hear me what I'm saying? Are you getting it? So, your mind 
is the decider. Your mind is actually the more powerful between your spirit and your soul. When we're talking about functional power and, and power for real-time action. Hallelujah. Amen. So the renewal of your mind is the building of the essential infrastructure for the finished work in your spirits to get through your mind to your world. This is why in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, from verse 2 downwards, we learn that our spiritual warfare is actually primarily in our minds and not in the esoteric. I know whenever we talk spiritual warfare for a whole lot of the Christian community, their minds immediately go to demons, devils, principalities, witches, warlocks, and all of those things. But before you deal with any of those things, the battle is first and foremost in your mind. And we've got to teach this right because, because we're not teaching it right. We're actually ascribing more power to the demons, the devils, and all of these things than they should, be, they should be given. Listen, there are people that do not know God, that are not born again, that are not spirit-filled, that don't speak in tongues, that don't know none of those spiritual things that you do, but they got their mind right. That how come all of those witches and warlocks and all of those principalities and all of those village people haven't dealt with Anthony Robbins since? Hello? Why haven't they curbed him since? If they are so powerful. There's a lot that has to do with the way you think. A lot has to do with the way you believe. Am I saying that these things do not exist? Of course, I'm not saying they don't exist. But I'm saying that before you will even defeat them, you have to first of all de defeat in that internal battle of how you think, of your mind. In fact, a lot of the time God is like, do you know what I have put inside you? Do you know? Do you know how powerful you really are? Do you know? Because if you knew some of the conversations you're having about hey, this person, that person, they cost me, they, you wouldn't even have you, you won't have it. They're, they're too far below you. Did you hear me what I'm saying? They are too far below you. They are too far below you. They are too far below you. Ah, for you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The primary battle, battleground is in between your ears. It's in your mind. Hallelujah. So really, our focus should not be on our spirit because that's already, already a done deal. Our focus should be on our minds, on changing our minds to agree with the finished work in our spirits. Thank you so much, brothers. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. So, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7a, for as he thinketh, so is he. Whoo! The mind is the decider, the seat of your thoughts. Your life is defined by your thoughts, by your thinking. Your thoughts are either liberating you or they are limiting you. If you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Your thoughts determine your life. Who therefore or what therefore controls your thoughts, controls your life. Therefore, Satan and the world are fighting. I'm going somewhere and people, you got to stay with me. We are going somewhere this Sunday morning. Satan and the world are working hard to control your thought life because they know that if they can control your thoughts, they can control your life. But God also wants control of your thought life if you will allow him. Uh, we often rightly say that Jesus came to change our lives. I agree, but now more than ever, I am coming to the conclusion that Jesus actually came to change our minds. 
to change our thinking. In the three and a half years that Jesus was walking with his disciples, let me tell you what he was walking on. He was walking on their minds. He was walking on the way that they think. I don't know how successful he was at the end of the three and a half years because after he was crucified, uh, Peter said, let's go back to fishing, you know. So something wasn't quite quantizing. But thankfully, God never gives up on his people. Amen and amen. Is it possible that all this time you have been walking with Jesus, he has actually been walk, working on changing your mind? Oh yeah. You thought he was working on changing your spouse. Mm -hmm. You thought he was working on changing your house. Mm -hmm. You thought he was working on changing your money or your honey. But he's actually been working on changing your mind, the way that you think. Ah, oh, Jesus, help me this Sunday morning. You need a mind shift for a divine shift. Ah, oh, my so we think that Moses was denied the honor of leading the Israelites into the promised land because he struck the rock a second time when God said to speak to the rock. And we're not incorrect, but there's deeper truth. We draw all of the theological revelations and implications of Moses striking the rock a second time. But can I suggest to you this Sunday morning uh, that the reason uh, that God could not use Moses uh, to lead the children of Israel uh, into the promised land uh, is because Moses uh, failed to have uh, a mind shift. You see, because Moses was used to doing things in a particular way. Uh, because he had struck the rock the first time and it had produced water, now God said, shift, don't strike, speak. Uh, but he said, no, I, 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 this is the way I know how to do it. In anger, he struck a second time. The issue was he could not or he did not have a mind shift. Oh, you don't hear me, what I'm saying. And because he could not have a mind shift, God could not use him to take the Israelites into the promised land. Oh, you don't hear me, what I'm saying. Because sometimes... The skill set to get you out is not the same skill set to get you in. And I don't know about you. I didn't come out not to be able to get in. So if I have to have a mind shift to be able to get in, I'm going to have me a mind shift. Is there anybody like me under the sound of my voice? Come and shout, yeah! mind shift. Change your thinking. Oh, God help me. Oh, you've got to change your thinking. There's a significant difference between Moses and Joshua. Lord help me this Sunday morning. Oh, I thank God for Moses. I thank God because without Moses we wouldn't have gotten out of Egypt. Oh, but I thank God for Joshua because without jo Joshua we wouldn't have entered into the promised land. And I didn't come this far not to be able to enter into all of the promises of of God. Uh, so we need to compare and contrast uh, Moses and Joshua and I don't have the time to do a full comparison uh, this Sunday morning. Ah uh, uh, yes, uh, but Moses uh, uh, was uh, a diplomatic leader who, who was always looking for peacemaking amongst uh, the people. Uh, no, Joshua didn't have time for all of that. Uh, Joshua was a commander uh, with his sword at the ready uh, to always engage battle. Uh, Moses, uh, when he faced the Red Sea, uh, all he had to do was stretch out his staff uh, and the sea parted. And upon seeing the sea part, then they could walk through. Uh, but not so with Joshua. When it came to Joshua, 
Joshua, God said, tell the priest along with yourself to step into the water. You are not going to wait for something to happen. You are going to step forward in faith and make it happen. When they stepped into the Jordan, that's when the Jordan parted. There has to be a mind shift. Oh, you don't hear me, what I'm saying. Uh, where, where, where Moses didn't lead the people into too many battles. Joshua was leading his people right into the midst of battle after battle after battle. Under Moses, they had manna and quail to feed them without much effort on their part. They slept, they woke up, they found it, they picked it up, they ate it. They slept, they woke up, they found it, they, they, they made it, prepared it, and they ate it. But the scripture says that as Joshua led the people into the promised land, immediately they set foot in the promised land. The manna and the quail ceased because there has to be a mind shift. No longer are you going to sit down putting all the responsibility on God to provide. I've given you everything you need. Now you go and make provision for yourself. Mind shift. We've got to shift from a Moses mentality into a Joshua mentality. I'm calling on a Joshua company, a Joshua generation to arise even in the midst of this shaking. If you are one of that generation, can you once more again give God the glory this Sunday morning? Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My time is done. I could drop some more, and I do have to drop some more because I haven't gotten to where God wants me to get you to this Sunday morning. The name Joshua is actually the same as the name Jesus. Joshua is Jehovah saves. It's Yehoshua. Jesus is Yehoshua. So you have to understand that there was a significant shift taking place between Moses and Joshua because Moses, the first five books of the Bible is what we call the Torah. The Torah is the law. Joshua, chapter one and verse one, was the beginning of something new. It was a New Testament. The law was over. Grace was in. Oh, Jesus, help me to understand this. And so we see that Old Testament Joshua was actually a picture of New Testament Jesus, okay? So Jesus was the substance. Joshua in the Old Testament was the shadow of the substance that was to come. So now when I read the book of Joshua, I read it with prophetic and New Testament insight to realize the typologies in his story that are speaking of what the New Testament church is meant to be doing. <laughs> What defines a man is the way he thinks. So when I am trying to have a relationship with you, trying to become friends with you, let me tell you, in case you didn't know, I'm very interested in how you think. Because how you think tells me who you are. Hey, Jesus, can you get this? Look, don't, 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 be, don't be confused. Hey, he got six packs. She's, she's shaped like a Coca-Cola bottle. Uh, don't, don't, don't be, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, don't be deceived by the outward appearance. He's smooth, he's suave, he got good command of English, he did that and he... No, 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 I want to know how you think. I want to know how you think. Because how you think tells me who you really are. Not this packaging, we can all package. This is the age of packaging, by the way. Oh, yes. It's the age of packaging. Male and female packaging in the apple. Life. <laughs> Hallelujah. How did I get there? That was a sidestep. 
So how a man thinks is who he is. So Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 to verse 6. It says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal to God. Whew. Hallelujah. Jesus did not think it robbery to be equal with God. I'm okay with that. But Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, as he thinks, you too should think. Oh, I balk. <laughs> he did not think it was out of place for him to think he shared the very nature of God. He did not think he was stealing something to consider himself to be of the God class. Jesus did not consider it crazy, obscene, or blasphemous to think of himself of having God material. Uh, the Greek word translated equal here is isos, which means similar in amount and kind. It's really talking more about kind. It's talking about having the same DNA of being of the same substance. He did not think himself out of place that I got God's substance, I got God's DNA. It's like the lion cub saying I'm equal to my father Simba, equal to Mufasa. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Of course, he's not as big as Mufasa yet, but he's got everything Mufasa has in his DNA. And Paul tells us that this is how we are meant to think also. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So I got some counsel for somebody. Don't think like a man, think like the man. Too many people trying to think like a man, think like this person, think like that person. No, no, no. Think like the man. What man am I talking about? I'm talking about the man, Jesus. I'm talking about the man who tells the winds and the waves to be still and they obey him. Think like Jesus. A number of years ago, there was a movement uh, that had a lot of great merits, and it was called WWJD. What would Jesus do? And it took the Christian world by storm. There were t-shirts, there were all sorts of merchandise that all had WWJD. What would Jesus do? And we were cautioned to keep on thinking every time we encountered the situation. What would Jesus do? But I want to start a new movement this Sunday morning is WWJT, which is what would Jesus think? Uh, what would Jesus think? I want to think like he thinks. That situation you're facing right now, that circumstance, that mountain, that Goliath, what are you thinking about it? Are your thoughts akin to Jesus' thought? Are you thinking about it the way that Jesus would think about it? What would Jesus think? I ain't got a job. I don't have good prospects. What would Jesus think? I'm still renting and I want to own a house. What would Jesus think? I'm not married and I'm desiring of marriage. What would Jesus think? Are you thinking like the man or are you still thinking like the world? What would Jesus think? Help me push your neighbor, ask your neighbor, what are you going through? What would Jesus think? Hallelujah. What would he think? What would he think? No, no, no. You, you got you to gotta apply it to yourself. You got to really think about it. Because just like you, I'm facing some situations. I'm facing some circumstances right now. I got some bills uh, and not enough money to pay for the bills. Uh, uh, and and I, I, I'm tempted to think like the world thinks, uh, to panic, uh, to run helter-skelter. But what would Jesus think? Uh, and so I started looking at Jesus' story. And I started looking at his circumstances. And I started thinking about how he thought when he faced circumstances and situations. This is deep. I hope you grab it. Oh my Jesus. So they needed to pay tax one day and they didn't seem to have the resources to pay the tax. And what did Jesus do? Did he start panicking? Did he start running up and down? No, no, no. He said, go fish. And the first fish that you catch in its mouth is a coin. 
and go and pay our taxes. So he never thought that there was no supply for the need. I remember that other time when Jesus had finished teaching 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. And then Jesus, with a smirk and a smile on his face, turned to his disciples and said, give them something to eat. His disciples looked at each other, looked at Jesus and said, are you serious? Where are we going to get food to feed these people? We don't even have the resources to buy food and the logistics of even getting the food together to feed all of these big people. Uh, Jesus said, what do you have? Uh, Luke came up and said, we got five loaves and two fish, but it is not uh, enough. Uh, Jesus said, you haven't learned yet to think like I think. I don't think scarcity. I think abundance. Your mind shift has to shift from scarcity thinking to abundance thinking. You know the rest of the story. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He broke it, he blessed it, he gave it, it was multiplied. He fed all of those people and there were 12 basketfuls full remaining after he was done. And that gave me a revelation of how Jesus thinks. He does not think laugh, black, he thinks supply. He does not think scarcity, he thinks abundance. He does not think there is no way, he thinks there is always a way. What would Jesus think? How would Jesus think? They ran out of wine at the wedding of Cana. His mother came to disturb him and said, you got to intervene. Jesus did not think that. Where do you want me to get wine? I can't get wine. There's nothing. No, no, no. What did he say? He said, what do you have in abundance? You have water, right? Get the jars. Fill them up to the brim. They drew out of the full brims of water. It had become wine. Because he doesn't have a scarcity mindset. He has an abundance mindset. We're very tempted in this day and age to only think scarcity, especially with the cost of living crisis. But you've got to insulate your mind, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And determine, I'm still not going to think scarcity. I'm going to think abundance. Oh yes. You see, the scarcity mindset is always withholding and depreciating, while the abundance mindset is always thinking there is much more than is a, that, that seems apparent, but I know it's coming. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? You know, I have some preachers uh, that they stumble on deep revelations, great revelations, and say, I can't share it yet. Uh, i got to keep it. i got to hide it. Uh, because once I share it, uh, somebody else will go preach it uh, and make it their own. Uh, I don't have such fears because I don't have a scarcity mindset. Uh, I have an abundance mindset. Uh, where that revelation came from, the well hasn't run out yet. Uh, and it's never going to run out. Uh, take my revelation. Go preach it. Uh, don't acknowledge me if you like. That's your own business. Uh, where I'm getting the resource sources from. The well never runs dry, for out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water. Scarcity, abundance. You've got to query your thoughts. How are you thinking? How are you thinking? Your thoughts determine your life. You've got to have a mind shift. <laughs> a scarcity mindset thinks things are running out, but an abundance mindset thinks things are overflowing and there is more from where that is coming from. You know, I was thinking about the whole situation in the world, all the crisis that's going on. And you know it's man-made. Hello? Do you know it's man-made? Do you know that it's, it's, we're trapped in, this, in the very systems and structures that men built? We built it for prosperity, but the same things we built for prosperity become our trap. There was a time many, many years ago that what is taking place in uh, Russia and Ukraine would not affect anywhere else in the world. Or would only affect the immediate environment. But we have developed where we now have structure systems that connect the whole world around. It's our own structures our own markets, our own speculations and projections and all of these things that come together to put us where we are. You might not want to agree with me, but there's no scarcity. Amen. 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 Pastor, what are you talking about? 
Me, I know scarcity personally. Personally. I don't even need to read any economic report. I know scarcity personally. So what are you talking about? It's man-made. There's abundance somewhere. It's in God. But let's even leave that, that spiritual um, conversation and realize that in any economy and the systems of the world, there's a enforced equilibrium. So when it's going down somewhere, it's going up somewhere else. And that's why in every recession, there are winners and losers. On what side are you going to be? And what side you're going to do, be has a lot to do with how you think. The scarcity mindset thinks competition because there's not enough. While the abundance mindset thinks complementation because we can achieve so much more working together. You've got to have a mind shift. God has a divine shift for you. Hallelujah. 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 Think positivity, not negativity. Think possibility, not impossibility. Think I can instead of I can't. Think there is always a way instead of there is no way. Think liberty and not captivity. It's a mind shift for a divine shift. If there's anything I came to do this Sunday morning is to shift your mind. How does God think about you? Start thinking about yourself the way that God thinks about you. He doesn't think you are a loser. He doesn't think you, th that you are weak and frail and that you, you never do good. That's the devil. God thinks uh, that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. God thinks uh, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God thinks uh, that you are the head and not the tail, that you are above and not beneath. God thinks that you have every resource uh, to overcome the flesh, the world, and all of the hordes of enemy. Why don't you think about yourself the way that God thinks about you? WWJT, what would Jesus think? Father, thank you. We give you the glory, we give you the praise. There is no God like unto you. Worthy and mighty are you. Hallelujah. Thank you for the finished work. Thank you for the finished work. Now we start to realign our minds to agree with what is already done for us by you. Hallelujah. 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 Audit, audit your thoughts. Audit your thinking. And choose to think differently. Whoo! Choose to think differently. Choose, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Choose to think differently. Father, I bless you. I give you the glory. I give you the honor. Ooh. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Worship him. Come on, come on, come on. Bless him, bless him, bless him, bless him. Hallelujah. Thank you. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. They are not thoughts of ill or evil, but they are thoughts of good to bring you to the expected end. Hey! Those are God's thoughts. Those are God's thoughts. Think God's thought. I open new channels of thinking in you today. Huh? You see, is in the midst of possibility uh, and positivity thinking. Hey, ah, the creativity and innovations are unleashed. <laughs> when you think uh, that there is a way where there seems to be no way, uh, you are created after the image and the likeness of your Father God, who is a creator. And then you are able to tap into the creative DNA inside you to create a solution when people saw no way before. Oh, Lord Jesus. Think the thoughts of God. Woo. 
every time you say, there's no way you shut down your own creativity. Because that's a full stop. That's a dead end. But when you say there must be a way, you unlock your innovation. You unlock your creativity. You unlock the spiritual DNA of God that's on your inside. God saw the earth without form and void. And he said, ah, there's no way. No, he said, I can handle this. The first divine shift. And he engaged creative thought. Let there be light. And you know the rest of the story. If you're out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is your moment, this is your opportunity. Don't harden your heart. Please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart, I confess with my mouth, therefore, by faith, I am born again. I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are saved indeed, and we're so excited to receive you into the body of Christ. We want to help you grow from being a child of God to becoming a mature son of God, so please Get in touch with us on any of our platforms and we will guide you along the path. It's important that you are planted in the house of God. For those that are planted in the house will flourish in the courts. Amen. Hallelujah. It's a mind shift for a divine shift. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.